Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on Call-In. This is episode 11. Squad approves $40 billion to Ukraine. The squad has voted to give $40 billion to Ukraine when Americans need help here at home. What are your thoughts? So I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller, and that is Johnny. You're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Maybe uh, I'll have. I can hear you, but you're a little spotty. Oh, looks like you dropped off. Okay, I'm going to take the next caller, which is Andrew. You're on the mic. You just got to unmute. Hey, can you hear me okay? I can. Nice. I uh, usually don't have such good service here, so that's that's cool. How's it going? It's going, Andrew. It is going. <laughs> it's yeah. been an interesting week. Yeah, just like politically or everything. I don't know. Politically, it's it's been really interesting. But I, I definitely want to get your take on this. How do you feel about the squad joining along with the corporate Democrats and voting to get uh, $40 billion to Ukraine? I think it's um, to be expected at this point. Um, you know, there's, you know, maybe some question that Ilhan Omar would oppose something like this, but I, I mentioned actually on a different call in earlier today that she, I believe she did vote and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought she did vote for, um, or at least kind of provide safe passage for a bill that it might've been the end, the national defense authorization or something, but it, it kind of allowed for more bombing into Somalia, which I believe is her home country. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, if she could be coerced into doing that, I have no faith that she'll, you know, stick up for anything that, that all of those people claim to support. And also um, I've also been forgetting the name lately, but I remember today, I think it's called, uh, Oh man, it's, it's called um, something consulting. I can't even remember now. God damn it. I had it literally in my head. Now it's gone. But Primo Radicals reported on it. Others on the left kind of mediascape reported on it. It's this consulting firm that has AOC and uh, I think Biden's campaign and uh, Beto O'Rourke and some other despicable people. And it's, it's just more and more I think we should kind of um, treat them as like a, a media creation, which I don't think anyone on Revolutionary Blackout has trouble doing. But I think that if people are interested in um, – and still doing some kind of electoral project, I would say build a third party. I don't have any, I've seen you and, um, and Jay do a lot of good coverage of the people's party kind of debunking, debunking that, um, uh, kind of scam. So that, that's a kind of a roadblock right now. I feel like for, uh, maybe some people on the left who might already be really hardcore into them or a little bit burned out cause they, supported them and then realized that it was kind of a fake, but I, I still think I'm down here in Mexico and it's like, there's a new party that took six years to build that took, you know, the presidency and the whole Congress, they just nationalized the whole lithium mining industry. They tried to nationalize the entire energy sector a couple of weeks ago and they're building like high speed rail hospitals. So 
it's actually kind of changed my mind a little bit back from like we should strictly do mutual aid and and syndicalism to build unions and things to well maybe we can kind of go more 50 50 but anyways i talked for a long time so i'd love to hear your thoughts and i'll mute myself no you brought up some really great points and i think that I want people to understand that I do understand like there's a lot of issues with MPP and I want people to realize that that doesn't have to be our final stop or our other, our only other option. I think it's important to support independent candidates who are also running. They're not affiliated with the party. In fact, Roger Meadows, something he said multiple times is that the parties are a big part of the problem. Right. So do we really need political parties? But I know that's not something that we can remove right now. But I think we need to focus more so on these independent candidates. There's a number of them that are running. And then also you still have candidates going through the Green Party. I know the Green Party has its issues as well. Honestly, every political party that we have in this country has issues, (laughs) to be honest with you. So I think. However, the Green Party has done really well in local elections. Like they are successful winning races locally, just not so much on the national level. So I think that we do need to remember that there are people that are still running as as independents. And I also think, and I mentioned this last time as well, I think we need to focus on trying to take over the Green Party. I think they need a lot of help with marketing and communications. I feel like their strategy needs a lot of work. Uh, they don't promote themselves or their candidates the way that they could. They don't use social media effectively as much as they could. You could honestly get a group of college students and have them do the marketing and promotion and they would do such a better job. I think back to like those, those two, uh, I think those were high school students that were helping Mike Gravel. Do you remember that? Yeah, they, I think they also still run the, um, the Gravel Institute that kind of tweets and puts out videos kind of, you know, sort of left propaganda videos that are most of the time they seem decent videos. They seem like a good, good bunch of kids. Maybe I might have some disagreements, but yeah, they did a a pretty stellar job getting Mike Gravel's name back out into the universe one last time. Yeah. You need someone who knows how to use these platforms in an effective manner. Someone who is familiar with TikTok, someone who knows how to beat the algorithm. You know, a lot of the younger people know how to do that. You need someone that's really active on Twitch. That's another platform. I feel like some of these politicians should be utilizing that they're not, not utilizing. If you really want to get young people to come out and support you, you need to go on Twitch. So those are just like some of the suggestions that I have. But I definitely hear you in reference to like the mutual aid and case study QB brought up something recently that I think is a really good idea. He said that he thinks that politicians should actually have some type of mutual aid organization or platform. So even if they lose, they've still like raised money for people in the community and they're still able to help the community. That's a pretty great idea. Um I think that that was a big bummer after the 2020 Bernie campaign. And in 2016, I wasn't really like politically all that active. I was somewhat aware I did um, vote for Bernie, but I didn't really like, I didn't really put any kind of effort into it. But in 2020 I did. And then to see like the fact, you know, the fact that he had like people, a ground game in every state that just collapsed afterwards was a big bummer. Like there was so much people could accomplish still with that, 
infrastructure that's just gone now. And that's the other thing too, I wanted to say, like, I definitely agree. People need to be, if we're doing, if they're doing campaigns, especially at a regional or a national level, um, they got to be savvy with their marketing. But at the same time, like with the case with Morena in Mexico, they, the, one of the things that they kind of tout is one of their biggest, like, strategies to win all of these um, seats in Congress and the presidency is that they, they did it like really meticulous, like mathematically, basically they counted every single subsection of electoral districts in the country and saw how many people are registered in this district. Okay. We're going to bring out, we're going to, we're going to get like confirmation from people that we've built good relationships with and, and ask them to kind of help work on the platform for what we're going to, you know, what is our policy going to be? And then, um, had them, you know, try to get like 70% of the people to commit to coming out. So then if even they had a big bunch of people bail, they still would be winning that district. Um, And that, that seems to be from people I've talked to, like one of the things they, they credit the most other than like that they have a good platform and that the public was completely done with the, the couple of parties that had been in power for decades before. Um, That was something that they really, seem to think was extremely valuable. So I think actually sometimes I feel like campaigns can definitely focus too hard on that. And then last thing I'll say that you brought up is for independent candidates and greens. I never thought about having like, you know, like the 10 demands that, that people put together um, during Mm -hmm. the rebellion after George Floyd's murder. Be interesting if there was just a platform that an independent politician could run on and a candidate could run on and say like, I'm for this platform, but it's not a party. Because that would also that would also circumvent uh, like nationwide FEC um, regulations around how to run your campaign, et cetera. If it was a bunch of independent people running on just a platform that that and they were just fundraising on their own, that would be very interesting. And then yeah, I've also I've heard Nick mention it before. You mentioned it just now, like taking over the Green Party. I think it sounds mm-hmm. good because. Um, you know, they have ballot access in like 30 states. So if there was enough overwhelming influx of people and they were able to kind of undo some of some of the corruption that people might have heard about, if, if you were listening to like the Convo Couch or Nico House talking about Howie Hawkins kind of just having them hand him the nomination in 2020, that's, yep. it's, yep. you know, it's not a good sign, but it doesn't seem like it's like a death warrant for the party necessarily. It seems like it could still be a good vehicle. Hmm. Well said. Andrew, thanks so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller. For sure. All right. So cool blue. Anytime. Cool blue. You're next. You just have to unmute. Just got to hit unmute. Hello. Hello. Hi, I was. I am. I was touching the wrong mute. There's like a mute on my icon and then there's a mute below. This is uh, the interface or whatever. Um, In response to this uh, topic, I happen to look at roll call, uh, which is, you know, the United States House of Representatives. And of course, all Democrats, all U.S. House Democrats who participated in the vote voted yes. And there were 57 uh, Republicans who voted no. And it, I knew about this. I just was interested in, in finding out some specific names of the Republicans who did not. And the amusing thing to me is that a number of the Republicans who said no 
are Republicans who are often made fun of by the Democrats, you know, to basically portray them, these particular Republicans, as being, quote unquote, dangerous. Uh, to name four of them, I'll name them in alphabetical order according to their state. It's from Colorado. There's Lauren Boebert. From Florida, yeah. there's Matt Gates. From Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And from North Carolina, Madison Cawthorn, who, you know, some fellow Republican colleagues are trying to drive him out of Congress. Now, I agree with these four people with their vote for no. I live in Michigan, and right now, the best bellwether states are Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. They voted for the presidential winners over the last four cycles, and they're likely going to do it again in 2024. And they're going to be instrumental in this year's midterm elections when you, everything is over with. Uh, there's currently 14 congressional districts in Michigan going down to 13. And the current delegation is even seven Republicans, seven Democrats. And one Republican from Michigan, Bill Hilzengia, I think, I'm not good with the pronunciation of his name. It's H-U-I-Z-E-N-G-A. Uh, he was the only one from Michigan who voted no. So, you know, I'm more and more time passes. I, I'm more and more solidified in my decision not to vote for the Democrats in general elections. And this is just, you know, one more reminder of why I've, I'm making the right choice nowadays. I'm, that's pretty much going to be all I can say for my call. But, of course, please respond if you'd like. Absolutely. I think the four Republicans that you just mentioned like that doesn't surprise me. And that being said, they basically did what the squad was supposed to do. And this is the thing. You have those four Republicans that, you know, people do consider them to be the hostile ones. Don't get me wrong. I don't I don't usually agree with them on anything. I'm just going to be honest with you. However, I agree with them on this vote. And but at the same time, we do have to realize that if Donald Trump were in office and he was doing these things that Joe Biden was doing, he was trying to give more aid to Ukraine. They would vote along with Donald Trump. They would vote in support of that. So, again, this is all like a left, right, you know, it, it's all a facade. And I think that we wanted the squad to go in and push back like this to to react this way. And, of course, obviously, they're not doing that. But right now, they are letting Marjorie Taylor Greene and, well, Rand Paul in the Senate, they're letting them outleft them on war. Even though I know this is 100% down party lines, it's all about the party, but still, it's the optics. It looks bad. And it's like, where is that fight that they were supposed to bring? They can't even vote the way that they're supposed to vote. They go along with the establishment. So what I've been telling people is that why, why vote for them again? Like, I know I'm not voting for them. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. They have basically become corporate politicians. And I don't understand how someone like Ilhan Omar can actually sit back there and be okay with this when she is from a country, she's from Somalia, she's from a country that the United States government is destroying. So she knows. And if I was her, 
Why aren't you speaking up? And I know she wrote a letter to Joe Biden, but why aren't you speaking up and being vocal on every news outlet possible about how the United States government is giving more money to Europeans, but they refuse to aid people in Somalia. They refuse to aid people in Yemen. They refuse to aid people in Afghanistan. They are starving people in those countries. And I think we all know what the difference is here. So I think that it is very, it's, it's so frustrating to me that this is why the whole identity politics thing does not work. This is why when people say, look, you have people that look like you that are in Congress now. This is why it means absolutely nothing. And it meant absolutely nothing under Barack Obama as well. Because we get people in there who represent marginalized people in this country, and then they don't even fight for us. They go along with the establishment. And they do exactly what they want them to do. Sorry, cool blue. Thank you. I'm a little heated. It, it pisses me off. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Thank you for taking my call again. You are welcome. All right. Johnny, I think we're going to try to get you on now. Hey, Sabrina. Okay. I hear you. Oh, nice. There we go. Colin's behaving now. (laughs) The old IT tech, uh, IT trick of uh, closing the app and reopen it works wonders. Telling you. We should do that with the United States. (laughs) <laughs> give it the yeah, old restart say, see if like, it works <laughs> no, every time IT used to come and visit me because I always had computer problems at work every time IT would come and visit have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again we should do that it's with so the sad US how many times it works doesn't it <laughs> software <laughs> software just doesn't behave uh, hey, so what's your, take, what's your take on all of this? Yeah. Appreciate, yeah. Appreciate you taking my call. Uh, I, I sent you a rant about a week ago and man, boy, like the 40 billion with no questions asked and nobody voted against it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Glenn Greenwald was going off on it and he's right to like, that's so much money for like, just like no questions asked. My God, how like, what, what do these people think their job is, you know? And that you know what it is? At this point, we have to make them afraid. Like they have to lose. Somebody, somebody in the squad has to go down because they're just not afraid of like the voters. Yeah. Republicans are afraid of the voters. Like Democrats aren't. We're gonna have to make them lose. I mean, I hate to like just be like, sorry, you need a new job, but like some of the, somebody from either the squad, I mean, poor Nina Turner is clearly already getting it. Like she didn't even get a chance. You know what I mean? We didn't even get her. She didn't even get in there to like, you know, actually give it a shot. But like the other ones are clearly useless. And it's hard to believe that Nina Turner was going to do anything different because she was complaining about the Republicans the whole time. She didn't have a bad word to say about the progressive caucus. Those are the ones who knifed her in the back and she's got nothing to say about them. Uh. Like, why don't you oppose the people who are supposed to be your friends? Doesn't that hurt? I mean, this is the people you've been riding with for years, and they're just going to turn and drop you? I mean, that's rotten. I mean, maybe the race was unwinnable, but, like, I mean, that was just awful. I mean, they just dropped that poor woman. Like, she's been uh, she's been dedicated to the cause for six years now, at least since 2016, if not earlier. And they just dropped her. I tell you what, I, I hate your 
uh, Jayapal more than any of them. Because, like, she was the one with the most power. She's supposed to be the head of the Progressive Caucus. You know, they all like to play follow the leader. And, like, what does Jayapal do? Writes a great Medicare for all bill and then, like, crumples it up and throws it in the trash and never looks at it again. And then just says, whatever Joe Biden wants, whatever Joe Manchin wants. I gave you a, uh, I should, I should actually address yep. what I, uh, what I sent you the other day, right? Cause I, I sent you a big rant the other day and it's like, they won't oppose, like, obviously, like a lot of, a lot of people, like, yeah, I want to say like the Sam Cedar crowd. They, they want to be like, oh, the left is so weak. We can't do anything, but it's like, you have veto power. You can stop stuff. And the thing is, is, like, you have to be willing to shut down legislation. Like, what are you willing to shut down and sacrifice in order to get what you want? Like, are you going to stop a Supreme Court pick? You know what I mean? Are you going to (laughs) stop a a bipartisan infrastructure bill? Are you going to deny Nancy Pelosi the speakership just because? Like, why didn't they just deny her the speakership? Just for whatever reason. Don't even ask for anything. Just be like, no, you can't have the speakership anymore. You know what I mean? They're like, let them come to the negotiating table and come to you. Like, force the vote should have been just like, no, we would like someone else besides Nancy Pelosi. And you're right. And it's, it's crazy. Like, it turned out to be like the pivotal moment when they had leverage and they didn't use it. Like, a lot of these votes we complain about, like the $40 billion, it wouldn't have made a difference either way. But they can't even give us symbolism. They won't even give us the right. symbolism of voting against it. It doesn't actually matter. Bernie, like, you know what I mean? Like, these people aren't giving us any even symbolism anymore. They can't even give us that because it would embarrass, like, Biden. And, like, they're willing to go down with a sinking ship. Like, Democratic leadership is embarrassing, and they're losing, and, and the squad doesn't care. They won't opportunistically see the writing on the wall and jump ship. Like, at least the Trump people are like, all right, we got to we got to do something different than Mitch McConnell. Like a lot of Republican voters don't like Mitch McConnell. I mean, I talk to Republicans and they don't like him. And like. You know, they're, they're looking for candidates that do other stuff, that vote differently, that think differently, that talk differently. Democrats won't even do that. They won't vote against Nancy Pelosi. It's crazy. We don't have anybody in the Senate. I mean, Bernie gave up, you, you know. Bernie gave up in 2020. That was, he had his chance, you know, he, he didn't want to oppose Joe Biden. That's the end of it for him. I mean, we have to start looking for, so I'm looking at my rant that I gave you a week ago when I was mad. And um, you're right. We have to start, we have to start looking for opportunities to build actual alliances and actual legislation. Like we're not going to get everything we want. I mean, obviously the left has a whole agenda that it wants to try to accomplish. And we have to, like, pick one or two things and go for them. And I actually do think the antitrust crowd is is kind of making fools of us at this point, right? They've gotten Republicans on board with this. And we couldn't even get a, like, if we had just picked a $15 minimum wage, that would have had the widest data, like, you know, basic impact on people's lives. The Oxfam, there was an Oxfam study that came out within the last few weeks that said something like 30 or 40% of the workforce makes under $15 an hour. Like, think about that. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you're in Massachusetts with me, right, Sabrina? I mean, we're in Massachusetts. Yep. 15 bucks is not that hard to find here. I, I don't think the minimum wage is quite there yet. I mean, I know you're from South Carolina, and that's a different different ball game. But, like, to think that 30 to 40% of the country just doesn't make 30 grand a year, and that's what it yep. really equates to. And, you know what I mean? And people are surviving off that. Like, that's And some concrete. of those are... 
That's concrete yeah, I just benefits say, we could have delivered to people. Right. For well, for people who don't know, some of those positions are professional positions that don't make thirty thousand dollars a year. You have teachers in this country that don't make thirty thousand dollars a year. It depends on the state you live in. And so it's yeah, so you have all these people that went to college. Yeah, went to college, got a degree, took out student loans and take this twenty five thousand dollars salary. You're in charge of the kids and like you don't make thirty grand. (laughs) <laughs> like you're eating canned tuna. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, come no, on. it's what just doing to people, and they won't fight for it. Like nobody's willing to sacrifice anything in Congress for it. They won't take any. And I actually, that's where I kind of want to go after people. I actually don't think the squad is bought. I think they're just afraid. Like they just don't have any courage. Like you have to go out there and be like, no, Biden, you can't get your bipartisan infrastructure bill. Sorry. Like, what are you going to do for me? Give me my $15. I told you I wanted 15. Give me my 15. Now, the rest of the progressive caucus wants to go flake off and, and, and fold. So it's, it's kind of hard. But like they did have that leverage at the force the vote point where Jimmy Dore kicked up a fuss and Brianna Joy Bray, Gray gave like the highbrow intellectual case for it, which no one had ever considered mm-hmm. because no one on the left actually does like power politics. Like, how can we actually? have an impact, have influence. We're just so used to being weak and uninfluential and not having a prayer, like not having a say, like trying to get in the room. Like we're so obsessed with being in the room and like getting attention from people in power. And it was like Jimmy Dore and Brianna Joy Gray made the case. And so many people that were like Democrats, liberalish, somewhere in between, just looked at everybody, looked at them making the case on force the vote. And we're just like confused by it. And yeah, have you heard Brianna Joy Cray say, like, there were people that were like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I just find that remarkable. People aren't like, used to. Do you have to, a plan I, 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 to win? Like, what's your plan? Honestly, I think a lot of them just want to fundraise. Like, I really do. They, yeah, like, that, that does seem to be, like, the core purpose of why the Democratic Party exists as a functional organizational, like, group organized institution today is just a fundraise it's crazy isn't it it's just all about money and i mean and here we are again i mean we have people in this country hearing about the baby formula shortage but we can give 40 billion to ukraine yeah that's crazy you see the marjorie uh glenn greenwald summed it up on his show if people haven't watched that where marjorie taylor green makes a fuss about the baby formula rightfully so i mean the lady's crazy don't get me wrong but like she got it right what are you gonna do you know and then jamie raskin hardcore russia gator was like no you're you're using russian to- propaganda talking points like dude have you been to a supermarket mm-hmm. what are you talking about yeah, I it's, it's pretty bad. The, the baby formula is locked. I mean, you're in you're in Massachusetts. The baby formula is locked up behind a like like a locked case. Yep. Like uh, my kids are seven That's and eleven. Fine. I don't have to worry about that stuff. But like the baby formula situation is crazy. Listen, it's sad times, right, let me, let me and I hate to say yeah, it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's sad times, guys, and I hate to say it, but Richard Wolf warned us about this. He told us this was coming. In fact, if you go back and you watch my interview with Richard Wolf from last year, you have to go back quite a ways. Uh, Richard Wolf warned that this was coming. And here we are. So, 
Thank you so much yeah, for calling, Johnny. I'm yeah, going to go ahead and the here. next caller. I'm taking up your time. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All righty. Okay. Who do we have up next? We have Sean. You're on the mic. Hey, Savvy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you hosting this call in in this forum. Thanks so much for calling in. What are your thoughts on this, Sean? Um, my thought, um, so the Ukraine lobby and the Ukraine PAC has surpassed Israel recently, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone with all the billions of dollars that's been funneled in to that country. So, I mean, this is, this is how Washington works. You know, it's, it's a money laundering scheme. Um, do you remember when I, when I called a, uh, like maybe a week or two ago and talked to you about that political organization that I came up with? Yes. I think you're breaking up just a little bit, Sean. Well, guess who got in contact with case study QB? You guys have, uh, you, you are- yeah, you're, um, you're, you're breaking up. We can't, I can barely hear you. Okay. Well, um, maybe try, are you, are you using Wi-Fi? Yeah. Okay. You're better now. Oh, okay, cool. Well, um, yeah, so I just, I just have been, you guys at RBN have really kind of like energized me and gotten me inspired to sort of like get out there and make connections. And I think we're kind of looking towards like intellectuals like Brianna Joy Gray, who's great and she's got a lot to offer. But these are also some of the most institutionalized uh, people who, who followed all the rules, got good grades. And a lot of them, they're not really like that creative of thinkers usually. I think people like People like Rome and people like you guys at RBN who are legitimate working class people. Like, oh, Sean, I think you're. I'm so sorry, Sean. You're breaking up. Okay. Um, okay, you're fine now. Okay. Well, um,. Yeah, I mean, some of these these academics that we're looking to, I mean, the, these are these are people who uh, who didn't really resist their institutionalization in public school, got good marks, did everything they were supposed to do, and it's not that these people don't have any value; they're just not they're not revolutionaries. They're not wired that way. And like I was saying, like people like Bone. Like people who are out there, like no, like we don't need these politicians. Like that's that's where we need to go. We need to start building networks with people like Rome, with independent media. We need to start using technology, like I was saying. Like we got to start thinking outside the box and and connecting with each other. And that's uh, that's what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. And like I said, like just got in contact with a case study QB. And we have some real similar ideas. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make this happen. I was talking to Nick about going out to Nick and Zoya uh, like earlier this week about going to lobbyist houses. 
If anyone wants to do that, I'm Bruce Wayne Dan on Twitter. I want to make that happen. I'm dead serious about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, this, this politics game is, is rigged. And until we start getting, like, independent voters and non-voters and bring up that voter turnout and getting out in the streets, like, we can't just, just be looking at this, like, in a traditional way, like we were, like we were brought up to, you know, watching television. And so, like, this is a TV show. You know what I mean? Like they said. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Sean. You're breaking up. Do you want to try to call back? Sure. I'm sorry. That's cool. All right, guys. I'm gonna go ahead and go to the next caller, and that is No War. Hey, Savvy, good evening. What uh, what IPA you having this evening? I don't have one tonight because I have to get up very early tomorrow. I have a birthday event to Fair go enough. to. So Your birthday or someone, <laughs> someone else's birthday? All right, all right. Hey, um, so the last guy I was discussing... Uh, and I think you're going to bring him back up, so that's why I feel comfortable saying this. He, he will get a, res, a chance to respond to this. But discussing uh, uh, Brianna Joy Gray. Brianna Joy Gray is, like, to my eyes, one of the best advocates, you know, that we have that has a, a platform. She's right in the same vein as, as you and RBN. And, and I... Like, okay, she went to Harvard for undergrad and graduate school. I don't care. She is on the right side of every issue. She does not sure pe- uh, she heard people into the Democratic Party and voting for, for them. She is proudly, certainly in 2016 and, and uh, certainly alluded to in, in 2020 that she voted green. She didn't vote for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. She didn't vote for for uh, for Hillary Clinton. Like to 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 diminish her and her credentials because her her bona fides because uh, of where she went to school and that she got good marks is is really like wrong in to my mind. I, I just I can't get on that ship. I can't get on board with that. You know, uh, two callers ago uh, was talking about the squad is, isn't bought. And, and, you know, I'm sorry to this individual who may not get a chance to respond, but the squad is bought. AOC goes out and gives, you know, I think, I think her speech rates like 80 or a hundred thousand dollars a speech. That's bought period. End of story bought she is bought off and and to protect the squad and say that they're not corrupt or they're not corrupted at this point is is so wrong they just voted for 40 uh billion dollars for ukraine funding i'm sorry i'm sorry that you feel that way and that you want to protect those folks they aren't protecting you so i don't know why you feel a loyalty there to them i'm sorry that you feel that way but the honest reality well, one thing, is, um, the honest one thing reality, I want to add. Go ahead. 
One thing I want to add about the speaking fees as well. I'm not sure if everyone is aware of this, but after five years, all of them are eligible for fee, uh, speaking fees and engagements and book deals. And I don't know if everyone realizes that, but they'll all get that point. They'll all get there some point if they stay in at least for the five years. Um, so that's also important for people to know, like I said, like they'll be fine. Like they stay in that time, you know, and then decide, Hey, you know, I'm done. I'm not going to run again. Like they'll be fine. Totally. hundred percent. Right. And, and so, you know, just, just, just to say they're not corrupted. Somebody paid for, uh, for AOC's ticket to go to the Met Gala last year. Somebody paid for right. that dress. Somebody paid right. for that. She's bought off, period. That is corruption through and through, like, to a T, textbook definition corruption. I'm sorry that, like, I bought into AOC at first. I I was impressed when, between the time she got elected and the time she was inaugurated, she went with Sunrise Movement to, uh, to Nancy Pelosi's office and, and protested and and occupied Nancy Pelosi's office. She wouldn't do that anymore. That's a form of corruption. No. She has been corrupted by the system. That period, end of story, she has been corrupted by the system. She would never do that anymore. She would not go occupy Nancy Pelosi's office, period. Like, if if you think that, you're entitled to think that. You're entitled to think whatever you want. I'm not. I'm not the thought police, but... In your heart, you know she would not, and I'm not speaking to you, Savvy, I'm speaking to, to anybody that thinks this, she would not go do what she did in that interim period between her election and her inauguration. So, and then just one other thing that I heard, um, it's really unfortunate that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker are right on the Ukraine stuff. And on the baby mm. formula stuff. And, but I'm not willing, I'm not somebody who's going to decline alliances where people are right on issues. I will align with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker on places where they're right and places where they're bigoted and, and, and racist and completely wrong. I will fight them. But on places where they're right, I will ally with them and, and I think that's important. That's part of the class warfare in this country that we need to, we need to find the allies on the issues where we can align with people and fight people on the issues where we don't align. And and it's just really sad that the squad isn't aligned with us on, on Ukraine funding or on figuring out the baby formula issue and Marjorie Taylor green is she's a deplorable person Mm. in in a lot of respects and but i'm not going to decline an ally on on things where we agree i'm not going to decline an ally when somebody is right on something period and i think that's such an important thing in, in the fights that we need to engage in and that we need to win and mm, that's so, that is a good point. So we need we have to win on these things. I and mean, we can't let babies die because 
we can't feed them formula. We need to figure out something to do to to address that issue. And if Marjorie Taylor Greene is an ally on that issue, then we need to ally with her on that. And we will fight her on the racist and bigoted and stupid shit that she says because she's wrong on a lot of things. She's wrong on the majority of things she says. But on that, I think it's essential that we align and ally with the people, ally with the people that, when they're right. Whether and that was the whole thing with Trump for four years. You could, if if Trump had said that he wanted to do a thirty dollar minimum wage, liberals like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi would have been against it, just because Trump said it. And I'm not willing to run down that road. I want to align and work with people when they're right on issues. And if Trump had been, when Trump was right, he was right. And when Trump was wrong, he was wrong. And, and I just hate people that will marginalize people just because they have an R next to their name or because they're bigoted on a lot of issues and, and wrong on a lot of issues. If they're right, they're right. And we work with them on those issues and we fight them on everything else. Bottom line. I think that's that's a big story uh, that we need to work on. So... Um, well said, no war. That's that's a really good point. Uh, I do want to comment really quick about the academic um, uh, point that you made. I think that people need to realize that a lot of us in this space do have a lot of education. Um, I don't know why people look at Harvard as though it's like this beacon. I've worked at a lot of these universities here in the Boston area in Massachusetts. Harvard is not as much different from some of the other schools here, believe it or not. Uh, Yes, they do have a lot of money. They do have a lot of funding. But I have friends that went to Harvard. I have friends that went to BU. I went to Northeastern here. A lot of these schools are somewhat similar. It's just that it's maybe more difficult to get into Harvard than some of those other schools. But uh, I hear what you're saying uh, about the academics. I think the point that Sean was trying to make is that I think some people are wanting to hear from people who are part of the working class. So like people, some people want to hear from like Rome. They want to hear from someone who's there on the ground, who's giving people, you know, food and clothes and things like that. I think that was the point Sean was trying to make. Um, but I, I mean, love even, hearing even from me, Rome. Yeah, I know. Rome's like awesome. I know, like, even for me, like, when it comes to like the academics, I mean, I did really well in school. Like, I have a master's degree. Like, I I mean, I'm not that much different from Brie, except for the fact that, yes, like, I have been poor. So totally. I, I think that is the difference. But I grew up middle class and I went to act and I'm not acting. I went to international school as well. I went to school abroad. So we're not that different. I think the only difference is the class aspect, which is I know what it's like to have money and to lose money. And then to try to get back where you were before again. So I think that's that's the difference. But I hear where you're coming from. I do want to go ahead yeah. and grab the next caller. Thanks for your time, Savvy. I, I, you know, I love you and appreciate your work. And and uh, and you're right on the thing you just said. I, I agree with you 100. So thank you for your time this evening. Uh, happy Friday. Take care. Happy Friday to you too. Thanks so much. 
All right. Eric, you are the next caller. Hey, how's it going? Hello. So when I first heard about this story, about the $40 billion being approved to Ukraine, just imagine my disgust as a teacher. Just look, especially at the school I work at. Now, granted, I'm, I'm teaching in the community I grew up in. So we're in a predominantly black neighborhood. The school that I'm at is. So you know that this particular school is not being funded as well as others. And and I'm like, hold on, you got $40 billion just to give like this? But yet, yeah, I don't know. You can't keep teachers around. You can't get... You, you can't help schools around the country because we got we got teachers still quitting in mass still, and yep. it, it's it's embarrassing. It's like y'all really don't want to. At, at this point, it's like it's you might as well just poke a middle finger at every single one of us, and right. especially in my subject area, like I teach math. So, good God, <laughs> you you can't find too many of us to teach this anymore. Mm-hmm. No, we were just talking about that on RBN Roundtable yesterday about the number of teachers that are quitting right now and that are not just quitting their their school, but leaving the profession altogether. Because, and honestly, I don't blame them. I worked in education for over 10 years. And I'm telling you guys, it's not worth it. Like what you have to put up with, what you have to deal with and what you're paid, it's not worth it. You're not just a teacher. You're not just an academic advisor. They also want you to be a babysitter. They want you to be a counselor. If something goes wrong with a student, the first person that they're looking at is you. And then you're reaching out to the parents or the roommate to see if they have some input, to see if they can help. And a lot of times they're nowhere to be found. So it's just there's so much pressure that's put on you nowadays, like as a teacher, it's nothing is nothing like what it was like when I was a kid. And when I was in school, they are requiring these teachers to have so much more credentials. Now you have to constantly keep going back and get another certification for this and for that. And then the school doesn't pay for it. You have to pay for it. It's just it's a a very uh, thankless profession. And it's just underappreciated. It's it's sad, but it, it's a reality. I think, you know, the pandemic really woke up a lot of people in that profession as well. Just like, no, I'm not going to put up with this. They had teachers here in Massachusetts. They made them go into the classroom to teach. And the students were all staying at home learning remotely. So they had teachers standing in the classroom teaching to an empty classroom. Now, tell me how that makes sense. It does. It, it does. make sense. It doesn't, and they, and they had us do something similar down here too. Um, except like you had classes that were that were half the sizes that they normally would be, and it's like, especially in my case, like my my school is an alternative school, so usually if students get in trouble, they come to they come to where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. And there's not that many of them on campus to begin with, so. Most of the time when some of us are showing up, we're getting like maybe three students in a class, um, especially last school year where everybody was masked up. Um, and yep. we actually had common sense. And 
It's like every class was like three. I'm like, okay, cool. I love this. Personally, I like it because guess what? There's not too many of you and I can help you all more individually. No, um, Richard Wolf talked about this in um, uh, his book, The Sickness is the System. Uh, yeah, in schooling, in public school, you all should have gone to a, tu- a tutor-based model. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, God damn it. If only more people were listening to you, Professor Wolf. <laughs> if only more people. I'm telling you, if you go back and watch, like, so funny thing, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys ever, but now for whatever reason, every time I watch a YouTube video and I let it autoplay, the next video that plays after that is Richard Wolf. And it's usually one of the videos where he's giving like a lecture at the new school. And so I'm just like, this is automatic now, automatic, like Richard Wolf. So I've seen a lot of Richard Wolf videos. Um, he's been on the show. And he was right. Like he tried to tell people this is coming and here we are. Yeah. Unfortunate. And then, and then, yeah, imagine explaining some of this to my high school students who, like I said, a lot of, a lot of my students grew up in the community, in the community, just like I did. So imagine seeing this and then, you go on, hold up, and then you got the baby formula shit on top of this? Yep. It is, and once it was like, well, what the fuck? I mean, like, and I, and I try to tell some of my high schoolers, like, y'all have no idea how bad this really is, what y'all about to walk into. Especially my seniors graduating. You about to walk into some bullshit. Yes. I'm just, I'm just here to warn you. I mean, Hell, you! I'm like, let's keep it real. Some of your teachers have student loan debt up to their damn eyeballs, and they go, yes. well, "Shit, I'm never paying this shit." I, God damn it! I need to rethink my my life decisions. Shit. <laughs> yes, <sighs> I hear you. Well, Eric, thank thank you so much for calling in. I want to get to the the next caller, but well said. No problem. Thanks again. Alrighty. All right, the next caller is Frank. You just Hi, uh, hi thanks uh, for taking my call. Uh, by the way, I've really come to appreciate your your dedication and your passion and your clarity, especially that last one. Uh, I wanted to kind of react to the uh, topic tonight. Um, when the squad, amongst all the other Democrats, voted in favor of the $40 billion, um, I was uh, once again saddened, but not surprised. And what the squad uh, and the added members uh, uh, of that uh, group kind of, I think, failed to realize is that uh, this was another of many teaching moments so that they could have used the $40 billion to teach a lot of things to their constituents uh, in their district as well as nationally. Um, the fact that these uh, expenditures are made or proposals without any view towards budget. Uh, They're not made in a conventional financing. They're really made in an an MMT or modern monetary theory, which basically says you're a sovereign country, you can print all the money you want, so you don't have to worry about paying it back, at least immediately. 
Whereas when they look at something like universal health care, Medicare for all, they're always asking, how are you going to pay for that? How are you going to develop and who are you going to tax? So a teaching moment with regard to conventional financing and modern monetary theory would have been fantastic. A teaching moment with regard to the current size of our military and defense budget, which dwarfs uh, every other country, including the ones that we say that we are uh, afraid of, uh, but uh, is ever-growing. The incestuousness of the defense industry lobbyist past senators and congresspeople and others within our government in terms of the executive branch and other branches and why that continues to take place. The fact that the military kind of knows that if you don't use it and the defense contractors, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you don't, if you don't have a compelling reason for using the military, which is either real, imagined, or fabricated, you may lose your argument in terms of increasing the budget. Right now, there's, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of momentum and so forth and so on, and it's been there for years, but it's increasing in terms of China being our next adversary uh, beyond Russia. So if it's not one thing, it's another. It could be Taiwan, and, and we're, we're, you know... It's endless. What the squad could have done is say, this is another teaching moment. I represent the district with tremendous needs, and I'm going to explain to the, to the citizens in my district and hopefully beyond why I'm not going to give in so easily, or maybe not at all, to another bill in front of me or another decision to increase the uh, defense budget. Again, because the more that we increase it, the more bases that we have around the world, the, the more we don't tackle the defense industry in terms of its te- incestuousness with both parties uh, and the revolving door, we're seemingly, we're just looking at if it's not this time with Ukraine and if uh, somehow this gets resolved without a tremendous escalation, It'll be the next one. We've been at war in one way or the other, small countries, medium-sized countries, and large, for 40 years. Meanwhile, China has been using that 40 years to reduce poverty, to create an incredible infrastructure, to develop relationships within Africa and South America and the rest of the world. It's interesting, one, one last point in terms of a teaching moment, that there are two uh, sectors in our economy that l- have always kind of led over a 10-year period, and actually even less than that, if you look at three, five, 10-year periods, towards stock price, uh, price growth. That's anything in the defense industry, and guess what? Anything in the healthcare industry. So if you, you know, somebody invested in individual stocks, uh, whatever, in terms of those two industries, the chances of them losing money were small. The chances of them making a lot of money were quite good. So the, the, the sadness here for me is for AOC, for uh, all of them to not realize that their power 
has to come from their district. If I was in their shoes, mm. I'd be going around to, I don't know how many community-based organizations, churches, nonprofits, any place where I could get a venue and say, this is why, these are the reasons why I cannot vote for this. I may be in a small number of people, but these are the reasons. And I think that will develop actually more power for them. They're busy currying favor, going along in order to, with the hope, the dream of Nancy Pelosi or uh, James Clyburn or Steny Hoyer or whoever else supporting something that they champion, it's not going to happen. That time period last uh, already left unless they take mm. stands and accrue power basically from their base, making them basically, you know, just they're going to be able to win elections every single time, but educating their citizens within their district. Anyway, thanks. I talked beyond my time. Thanks a million. Awesome, Frank. Uh, a quick question. Are they yeah. still talking to people in their district? Because I've spoken to people that live in AOC's district and they're saying that they don't hear from her. Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I thought about, uh, you know, I didn't want to concentrate on AOC because I think my opinion, by the way, is that the use of the term squad should have been squashed. They set themselves apart, yeah. they set themselves as targets. Uh, people that may be aligned with them, who may be very progressive, may not be want to, you know, may not want to be the sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth member of that, because it actually, to my mind, and I've worked for two two mayors and a governor at high levels, and I've dealt with all kinds of elected officials at every level. Uh, I know what happens. They, uh, you know, in, mm. in the state of New York, if you didn't kiss, if you're an incoming uh, assembly person. And you didn't kiss Sheldon Silver's ring, um, you weren't going to get very far. They ice you unless you develop the base in your district to make you formidable, to make you somebody that they're not going to so easily discard um, or, you know, sent to the uh, sent away. Uh, and they kind of have lost their vision. They've lost their sense of, of power, not only their own empowerment maintenance and growth, but also the empowerment of their citizens by making all of these things a teaching moment and having a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> I mean, I'd give that they wanted to, you know, to have uh, people contribute uh, to a community center, a senior citizen center, and invite everybody around to hear, why am I not going to vote for this? These are the reasons why. I for the coffee donuts and whatever the heck else they want to deliver and serve, I give them the hundred, hundred and fifty. It's better spent, to tell you the truth. Uh, to your point, by the way, I do. It's a district that I know well. I do have lots of mm -hmm. friends in the district. I I was uh, supportive of somebody that was running for city council, and uh, she's uh, made it, but in another. And yes, uh, didn't want to get into that because I usually like to verify things and not necessarily, even though these are close friends, necessar not necessarily, um, you know, buy it unless I kind of know it. Um, but yes, I have heard that. And I've heard that for a couple of years now. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for your call, Frank. Oh, thank I want to go ahead to the next caller.
All right, Lance, I'm going to make you uh, next caller, but I do want to give a shout out really quick to Faux Q. Thank you so much for just becoming a savvy member. Whoop, whoop. Shout out to Faux Q. All right, Lance, what's your take on all of this? 40 billion gone or on its way out. (laughs) Crazy. Always great to talk to you. Let me echo what Frank said. You're just literally the best, you know, I mean, just the insightfulness and the movement orientation and not just being a a pundit. I mean, you're just great. You're just awesome. So, uh, and RBN too, everybody on that, it's just fantastic. Um, so, uh, yeah, the 40 billion. What I was thinking a while back, I'm a bipartisan critic. There were some right wingers out in the um, West somewhere who said that, yeah, stop the steal. It's a joke. I don't know if this was direct or whether it was someone in the caucus, in the GOP caucus that said this, that I'm afraid to vote against Trump and stop the steal, even though it's idiocy and lunacy because there's threats against my family back home. Okay. That if you don't back Trump, you know, we're going to come after your family. Now you got AOC, a tough girl from the Bronx, boy. She's New York City tough, right? And those shoes are at the Smithsonian, and she's a tough girl. And yet, on January 6th, she was protected from Jump Street, right? What more does one need to know about her character that she pretended to be in danger? Now, if she was some ultra-protected, even then, if she was just someone who had been protected in upper middle class, you know, 1% world her whole life, that any threat would be. But it wasn't even any threat. She was in a safe building. It had already been secured. She knew she was in zero danger and pretended she was. All right. And yet now those people get to make decisions. It's one step short of sending our own troops there. Yeah. Send 40 billion. Yeah. Javelin. Let them destroy, you know, Russians and let the, you know, maybe someone get in where Ukrainians will be killed. Yeah. But too bad. But boy, oh boy, I, I, I'm so afraid. I can't go to the union meeting, uh, gathering because, you know, security, I, you know, I, I'm under threat. <laughs> it's like, you know, if these people are making war, you know, life and death decision. What baby formula? Yeah, you know, yeah, what a, that's a problem. But, but boy, I'm so threatened though. You know, I, we'd love to do something, but, but Jesus, you know, I'm so fragile. You know, it's like, it just sickens me almost literally to think that these people are making life and death decisions when they're just like afraid of like, well, how could you possibly go into politics and say, well, I'll go into politics as long as I'm not attacked for my actions. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like saying, I want to be a swimmer as long as I don't get wet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'd like to be a swimmer, but all that water, ew, you know, it makes me cold. It's like, how could you possibly go into <laughs> politics and say, that? oh, no, but, you know, I'm under threat and people on Twitter don't like me. And so I'd love to make a vote. The vote that she was crying on the House floor because she couldn't decide whether she wanted the vote to be 431 to 4 or 430 to 5. I mean, but go ahead and, yeah, $40 billion for Ukraine. Yeah, send those javelins in there. You know, send those rockets in. By the way, just to make another point, there was a book called Plain Speaking by Merle Miller set records on New York Times about the sober, straight thinking. It was called Plain Speaking. It was about Harry S. Truman. Good old boy, right? sane and sober that's the guy who two atomic bombs so the idea that well we can't have that'll never happen again this is mr sober and sane 
who dropped two atomic bombs. We've already had a nuclear war, folks. So this idea that it's completely out of our imagination, how can you be that stupid? We've already had a nuclear war. He's already said he's willing to use limited nukes. And it just baffles me that that that, that they're going that fast, that hard, provoking Ukraine, provoking China with Taiwan. It's like they want Armageddon. I thought they wanted to step things up, but I don't know if they, it's like they want direct war on two fronts, like Germany and Japan. Only it's going to be, uh, you know, Russia and China. It's insane. Honestly, I think, I think there's a group of people who truly believe that out of chaos, we will have peace. That they believe that in order to achieve peace, that we have to have destruction and chaos and peace will come from that. Now, I don't agree with that, but I really do think there's a group of people that they believe that they believe it's necessary to go to these battles in order for yeah, us to have to peace. Right. 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 Used to be the APAC weirdos, you know, and the, not just APAC, the Christian Jewish cult, you know, the, the people that want the rapture, bring it on. Yeah. Armageddon. But I thought it was just like the fringiest fringe, fringe, fringiest fringe, you know, uh, but, you know, that were important people in terms of the fact that they're part of APAC, part of the Christian right and all that. But now it's like it's like it's the brain worm has just gone completely through the whole the whole works right on the heels of Afghanistan. How can we be that like stupid to think that like, yeah, this is a good war. I, I, it, I'm, I'm really perplexed. by mm-hmm. it. And it's completely lockstep on the left. It's only on the right that you're getting any pushback. Well, what do you make of that, Savvy? I don't get it. It's propaganda. It's really proper. And, and let's be real. I, I do want to be fair here and mention that the reason why we're getting that pushback on the right is because right now it's Democrats that are in power. If it was the well, right that was in power, Republicans that were in power, like, for example, if Trump was in office right now, would Marjorie Taylor Greene push back on Donald Trump? I don't think so. I think they might. I don't know about MTG. She's just a whack job. Rand Paul's one of the, you know, he, Rand Paul's a classic libertarian because I, when I disagree with him, he's the most wackiest whack job ever, like MTG territory. But when I agree with him, he's better than the Democrats on certain things. He actually did his own personal filibuster unofficially. It wasn't like just hold, hold up a particular, on, uh, on, uh, um, what do you call it? Incarceration. So I think on some of these things, being the libertarian, I think that uh, uh, Rand Paul might, I don't know if he would hold up the vote, you know, but I think he would come out against it or vote against the, the 40 billion. I think he would be consistent on that particular thing. But like a stop clock is, you know, right twice a day. So, I mean, I'm not want to give the guy too much credit, but. But he's been great with Fauci. You know, that's sincere. Yes, of course he wants to. And then immediately after the hearing, hey, give me some money because I just, you know, torch Fauci. So, yes, of course, he's a politician and he's corrupt and all the rest of it. But he's sincere about the fact that, you know, what he's saying about Fauci. I think he's sincere about what he's saying about the war. But that it's just. I, I, I don't. I know the propaganda has been there since World War One. You know what I mean, Savvy? It's like what I was seeing on Bree's show. I was talking to Matt Stoller, and he's talking about how China's, uh, you know, you, you you have more important things to do. But it was a pretty good back and forth. I don't know, Matt. And Bree's like, it was going to be brief, but it wound up being 10 extra minutes because he Matt extended it. But the idea that, uh, you know, that, that a late stage capitalist country like us wants to provoke China and, and, and do this with, with, with Russia, you know, and the idea that, um, 
you know, what it doesn't with all the propaganda that's been there. Here's what I was saying is that we had some diplomacy here and there. And, you know, when Nixon, you know, opened up to China, recognized China and he played off China because it was a Cold War. So we had America playing off China against Russia. Now we're pushing them together. And it's like, what is going on with that? You know, just in terms of sheer diplomacy, there used to be a little diplomacy in between the warmongering and the military industrial complex. Now it's like all military industrial complex, all war, all the Steny Hoyer said it. We're, we are at war. You know, so we're, you know, it's like we're, we're there, you know, I, I, I don't, I, and who, you know, deep down in the Pentagon, this has been talked about too, is that can we even win a war? We know we're not that equipped. Look what we did in Afghanistan and Iraq, two third world countries that we couldn't defeat ultimately, you know, and squelch them permanently. Mm. So I don't know what the government's thinking. How are we going to win a war if we're, if we're escalating this stuff up? Unless, like you say, it's just like, let the shit hit the fan and we'll just go for Armageddon, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Well, Lance, thanks so much for calling in. I'm going to get to the next caller. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mark. Okay, guys. You too. All right, guys, I'm going to take three more callers and then Sabby has to wrap it up because it's getting close to that 1130 mark. Uh, I'm going to grab Owen. You are the next caller. Sure thing. How are you tonight, Sabby? Hello. How are you? Doing well. Um, in relation to the question, or I guess your subject today, just about uh, another one of the squad's failures, uh, I, I don't want to waste time just like complaining about them because everybody already knows that the squad's a done deal. But what I wanted to ask you about was um, solutions instead. So uh, I've just been talking to a bunch of people in my community about like mutual aid. And it seems that, uh, in my opinion, since the wider black community equates like economic assistance to pity in some way, I just want to ask you, uh, how do we as leftists or people trying to explain to our communities how mutual aid can be used as a weapon against capital as well as uh, I, uh, providing for people's material needs? How do we uh, try to convince or reacquaint people with like mutual aid in a modern society filled with like black capitalists? Because I believe that is a major problem when it comes to that. I think you should educate them about the Black Panthers and what the Black Panthers did in reference to mutual aid and the idea that they had. Now, there's a whole history of this, and not everyone's going to want to sit down and listen to it. I'll just be honest with you. (laughs) Some people are just going to be like, I don't have time for all of that. But but to cut the story short and, and just get straight to the chase, one thing that was really great about the Black Panthers is that they realized early on that the government was not going to save them. The government was not going to help their community. So they decided to help their community themselves. And the Black Panthers were international. I don't know if everyone realizes that, but there were Black Panthers even in South Korea. So it wasn't just in the United States, right? So what they did is that they didn't just do mutual aid. They made sure that they created a community that was caring for each other and the people in that community. So that way it didn't it didn't look to people as though they're just giving out food and clothes. They were actually getting to know people in their community. If that meant that 
so-and-so needed someone to walk them home from work because they got off late at night. They had people who could do that. They had people who protected each other in the community. They did the free breakfast program, which is actually where public schools got that from the United States. They got that idea from the Black Panther Party. So they were able to get to know the people in the community. So it felt more like a community feel. So it didn't feel like you were just going into a community and just giving out free things. Then it has more like that charity feel, but it felt more like this is a group that is taking care of people in their community. And I think that's the way to go about it. But you definitely want to educate them about the Black Panthers because a lot of people in this country think the Black Panthers was just like some militant organization. That's actually not true. Uh, They read a lot, especially in reference to, you know, literature about socialism and how to fight back and how to be a community. So they had those kind of sessions as well. They were very educational, not just about giving out food. So I think. You have to you have to educate them about the history of mutual aid through the Black Panther Party in this country, why it was done, how it was done and how it was effective. And I think one of the easiest ways to do that is honestly through YouTube. They there are videos on YouTube of the Black Panther Party showing them doing mutual aid, showing them helping the community because not everyone's going to have time to sit down at a workshop and listen to this whole story, right? Because it goes deeper than what I just told you. But you can show them video clips so they can see exactly what the Black Panther Party did and how it benefited the community. The fact that they were building clinics because again, just drive it back to the notion that They realized early on that the United States government was not going to help them. So that's why they decided to help their communities themselves. I think that's the best way to go about it. Thank you, Savvy. And just so the audience knows, I only asked specifically about the black community, because when it comes to uh, white leftists, since I've been dealing with them in the DSA, they'd rather run a political campaign for a person who's in the DSA rather than actually provide for people's material needs, which could actually convince somebody of your ideology. So thank, thank you, Savvy, and have a nice rest of your night. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling in. All right. I am going to go to Eric. Um, since I got you already, I'm going to go to the next caller, which is uh, Frank. This is a different Frank. All right, Frank, you are on the mic. Just have to hit unmute. Not better? sure if you. All right, I got you. Okay. Hello. Uh, there's there's a couple of issues that uh, I've been trying to get out to the um, the the community at large and. and um, that ha- aren't talked about very much. One is insulation of, uh, of buildings. Uh, um, I, I am an architect and a contractor. I know what's going on. Um, and uh, I, I have a, um, what building codes do not deal with existing buildings insulation at all. And so you can go to your Whole Foods and I guarantee it is not insulated. <laughs> you can go to your school, I guarantee it's not insulated. Um, the word insulation was not put into the um, uh, any of the building codes until 
2006, um, our houses are, are a separate code. And how codes work is that there's a code, code corporation um, that has three offices in the country, and it's called the International Building Council, uh, International Code Council, and it writes the International Building Code, which is for government and commercial buildings, and then there's another one for International Residential Code. Uh, they're two separate things. Um, and I, so w the codes don't deal with existing buildings and the R values of new buildings, new construction for government and corporations are one half the value of houses. So we're insulating the little boxes, but the big boxes were just allowing to be heated and cooled um, to a, um, whatever needs. <laughs> No, there's really not much stopping it. So I've, I've gone to this local Safeway and I've long, and had a conversation with the manager, but I need to go up the, the ladder there. And the Whole Foods actually is, um, they sent the, the regional sustainable manager here in Denver and he gave me a bunch of lies to go <laughs> try, try and get me off track and like, I'm not buying it. Um, but uh, we have a we have a major problem. That's that's at least fifteen percent. If we insulated buildings, we could bring down uh, greenhouse gases by fifteen percent. The plan that is in place right now is to just do treadmill, um, put ourselves in a treadmill, and keep the greenhouse gases at the at the same level, um, and and uh, um, and, and just insulate the new construction while the existing buildings go. Uh, you know, uh, just continue to be heat, heating and cooling hogs. Um, so um, I, I, I want I, I don't know how to get that out to the to the bigger community so that we can uh, um, take action on that. I'm sort of on my own here in Denver doing that. And also the other issue uh, I, I'm I have a, quite a bit of expertise on is the the corruption, racism, and misogyny and professional licensing. But I could go on for hours on how bad that is. It is the core of capitalism and we really have to take that down in order to, uh, um, uh, to have that, uh, get rid of capitalism and, and, and the racism and misogyny is it's, it's, it's licensing allows who can be a capitalist or not. And we can't have that as a club anymore. We have some licenses that are less than 1%. Um, uh, after you earn the degree. So um, talk about that for hours and I, I know you got to go. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks. Um, thank you so much for, for that information, Frank. I, I was not aware of that. So definitely you just educated me as well. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the next steps that I, I, you think I could take to, to try and try and get that information out on you know, so people will take action, you know, like teachers could go to their schools and say, can you insulate my, 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 my building, please? Um, go to your grocery stores and say, can you insulate the, um, I don't like paying for these prices anymore. Part of it's the, <laughs> the inflation of that. Um, so I'm, I'm just, any ideas what, uh, what can be, what, what I, what can be done? You can always go to the press, but when you go to them, there's always the risk that they may not air it or they may take just little sound bites of what you said and not 
the whole story. Uh, so, so there's that they avenue. Uh, or you can just do, which is what like a lot of us do. Like the reason why I do my show is to educate people. So you could just have your own platform on YouTube, um, or rumble, wherever you want to be these days, um, and do that. And Eric just mentioned to me, uh, in the chat also, uh, city council meetings is another place that you can go. And those happen more often than people realize. I wish more people would attend city council meetings. Most of the time when I've gone, there's like, it's like me and not many other people, unless it was a very uh, pressing issue. So city council meetings would be good for you to educate people about that. And they do Q and a sessions at those meetings. So you can talk to them about that as well. Um, but also you use the social media, use the platforms, the social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you can to get that message out. Because I did not realize that until you said that tonight. Yeah, I, I, I'm Colorado People's News on, on Twitter. So um, I, I do put that out quite a bit. And uh, I have gone to city councils. I have a, have a city councilor in, in a nearby suburb. That has I've asked for documents and proof of of our values of the of Lakewood, Colorado buildings, and she has mm-hmm. as a city councilor as well, and they still won't give in to either of us. So this is very much locked in throughout the Democratic Party, and the and the media is actually knows about it as well. And the professional licensing, the media is very in tuned into that, and they are not going to say a word. That is the base of the Democratic Party. And they're not going to give that mm. ghost up. Okay. Thank you. Good, point. Good points. Thank you so much for calling in, Frank. All right, guys. So I did just realize this is a different Eric. So I am so sorry, Eric. Uh, Eric B., you are now the next caller. Hey, Savvy. How you doing? Hello. Hey. Yeah, that was another Eric. This is the real one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, what I wanted to share with you was that because all these things are happening, but the, the, the mainstream media is so powerful with their propaganda. And I, what I do is I like to probe people that are not like us, that are in, in, immersed in what I call the leftist ecosystem. Uh, they're buying into this. You know, I, I went to a place with my wife last weekend in the Bay Area. Uh, that's pretty, uh, I want to say, pretty democratic, uh, pretty free-thinking area here in the Bay Area. And they had this, but they're also very wealthy. Uh, and they had a big flag, a Ukraine flag flying. I mean, for them to just even have a flagpole shows you how much money they, they do have. At this, It was like, and, and you know, everybody gets to the place to the, that they get to in different ways. I'm not saying that these people are affluent just because, you know, maybe they work their asses off to get to where they are and, and, and that's how they got there. But the, but, and, and the, the, here goes the point. Good people are easily influenced by the mainstream media propaganda. And we are such a small portion that makes up the population that the masses of people are converted into the mainstream media's message that it's hard to even argue with regular people because They've consumed the fact that going to Ukraine is the right thing to do, that we're fighting an an uphill battle. And we're not going to win it with the likes of AOC or the squad 
they have proven over and over over the past two years who they are. They're not going to go to bat for us. Whatever they do is going to be crumbs and they're going to be virtual signaling to do things that are not really going to be anything uh, quantifiable that I like to use that word. So we have to go back to what RBN has been messaging us for the past year, however long, yeah, a little bit over a year that you guys have been around, which is direct action. And the history has proven that that's the only way that things are going to change. Nothing else, not the politicians. If we get more uh, Shah Maso wants and more people like that, that's definitely going to you know, help us. But how long would that take if we're, be, if we're being honest, realistic? How many years will it take for us to get more people like her on board? Unless some sort of real breakthrough happens, it's, it's not going to happen. Because the mainstream media insulates the American public as to what's truly happening, the way they got rid of RT, the, the way they silence any mm-hmm. of the opposition messaging, right? So the only way that we can break through is through direct action. And that means uh, conjuring up all the people that we can to really bring the messages out to the street. Kind of like what uh, Black Lives Matter uh, did with uh, George Floyd. But they didn't have any goals. They didn't have, I mean, they, they had some goals, but they, they were, there was no, nothing that they were going to quantify. They couldn't really channel what they wanted in the way that maybe would have been more productive. Uh, and so, you know, my takeaway of this is we have to focus on the direct action. Uh, and everybody that listens to your show, we need to focus on what each one of us can do. For some of us, that could be donating money. For others, it could be going out and protesting. And, and just supporting that. And we have to collectively make some, some goals for the, you know, the coming year, the coming quarters, so that we can make these changes. Otherwise, it will not happen uh, because all everything I just said. No, that's 100 uh, percent. The other thing um, I think that's important to note, too, is when you bring up direct action, thank you so much for saying that everyone ha- will have like a different role. This is something that Rome has tried to explain to people multiple times. Not everyone is supposed to be out in the street. I, I just want to make that very clear. Not everyone physically can do that. Um, some people just don't have the, the means to to do it. Right. But there are other things that you can do. For some people, it may be donating money. Some people, they have the the money. That's where they come in, right? So they may be donating money to help those direct action events. Uh, For some people, you could help with marketing. You could help with promotion. That doesn't really require you to go out in the streets, per se. You could do a lot of that over social media. For other people, it may just be like just, just trying to combat smears and negative attention because you will get you are going to get negative press so for some people your job could be pr you'll come in and be the pr people and and kill the noise when it comes through and there will be noise that will come through so not everyone is supposed to be out in the streets so when people make the argument that well i'm not a fighter i'm not an activist i don't go out in the streets and and protest that's not my role no one's saying that you have to physically be out in the street doing that but there are other ways that you can help for other people it could be lending an ear to your audience to let them know hey this direct action is coming up these are the demands i encourage all of you to go out there to dc and get involved you know we had these marches for medicare for all last year in this country 
And most of the big platforms and independent media didn't even talk about, didn't even mention it. And they all knew about it. All of them were contacted. So sometimes it's something just as small as that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be physically outside with everybody else. But I think it's going to take like all of us, right? So I just want to issue like a newsflash for everybody here. Obviously, the left is divided. You have some people who still want to continue to do the inside strategy. You have some people who don't want to do the inside strategy anymore. And they're like, nope, I'm not voting for him if they run through the Democratic Party. Here's the problem. For the people who are relying on doing it the electoral way, if you don't have the rest, that other half of the left on board, those candidates are going to have a difficult time winning because the left is very small in this country. We are a small echo chamber. Most people I talk to, they don't even know these independent media networks. They don't even know what a TYT is. Mm -hmm. They've never heard of it. Most people are only watching mainstream media. Now, when it comes to direct action, the difference is, do you have to just get people on the left to come out and fight for health care? No, you can get people to come out and fight for health care that have no political ideology whatsoever, but they need health care. That's the difference. And that's what I want people to understand. With You look back at like the civil rights movement. That was not done through electoral politics. Did they go to to different black people and say, are you religious? Are you not religious? Okay, let's just gather all the black people that are religious and let's fight for civil rights. No, that would have made the group so much smaller. So I think you have to think outside the box. You're going to have to include people that you may not necessarily agree with on everything. And so even when we talk about those types of movements, you have to remember that there were also white people that were part of the civil rights movement too. That's right. So you, you need some of everybody. So I think that, thank you so much for saying that because I know some people say they're like, dude, I'm not a fighter. That's not my thing. Okay, cool. Can you do marketing? Can you do promotion? Right. Can you do PR? I have one question for you, Savvy, that I've been I've been pro I've been asking you, but I I know you get a lot of chats and whatnot. But but I wanted to ask you because Franco from Frank Analysis, he talked about this and a few other guys did too, but Franco was the one uh and he's getting really shadow banned on YouTube. And uh you know right. I really like Franco by the way. I, I really think he's one of the up and coming guys. But he he was you know basically asking in a sense, was it the right strategy for Chris Smalls to have gone up to Capitol Hill, taking the pictures with uh, Joe Biden, taking the pictures with uh, Bernie and, and AOC? Was that the right strategy? Is, is, is having them actually detrimental to what he was trying to do and really you know, sort of making it seem like things are going to be okay when they're really not? They're far from being okay. But because he did that, it may have given people the relief to say, oh, well, I guess we're going down the right path when we're clearly what you and I know and, and the audience knows we're not. What, what do you think about that? And that, that was my last question. Thank you. Yeah, so I struggled with this one. I get both sides. I do understand that sometimes the Democratic Party, they co-op movements. And, and I totally get it. So I know some people were concerned about that. I also understand Chris's side where he's trying to reach as many people as possible. And I understand 
as well. As many times as I tell people we need to hold politicians accountable and we need to put pressure on them. Well, Chris Smalls going to that Senate hearing and saying what he said to Lindsey Graham, that's him putting pressure on Lindsey Graham and telling him like, look, this is not a left right issue. So I love that he said that and said Mm. that this is about the workers. You know, this is one of those situations where it's like, if, if you do, you're damned. If you don't, you're damned. Because if you would have turned it down, then people would have said, how dare you not take up that opportunity? And so he decided to to do it. And then you have people saying, how dare you go to the white house? So it would have been either way. Um, just and I want to tell people just because Chris Balls took a picture with Joe Biden, that doesn't yeah. mean he agrees with Joe Biden. Like you know, politically, mm-hmm. um, I do think Joe Biden obviously is is lying as usual, like he's he's always done. But uh, he saw he gave more money to Amazon even after taking that that photo op that he did. That's his job as a politician. That's what they do. They take photo ops and then behind the scenes they continue to do dirty work. But Chris Smalls, the activist, as an activist, you have to think about how can I get the message to as many people as possible? Um, Same thing when he went on Tucker Carlson's show. How many people watch Tucker Carlson's show? Over five million people. So he's looking at it from the mindset of as an activist, not so much, oh, is this a Democrat thing or a Republican thing? So I think that's the difference. Um, I don't even know if I would consider it a strategy per se. I just think he was invited there and he said, well, yes, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell these politicians this is not a left right issue. This is a working class issue and working class people are not being protected in this country and they're not being given the rights that they should have. So I think Chris did the right thing, in my opinion. But I mean, I understand it. But if you continue to avoid politicians altogether, then how are you going to put pressure on them? You know, so for example, yeah, so like Eric and I this morning, that's what we were doing. We were in Boston for Mayor uh, Michelle Wu. She had an event in Jamaica Plain and it was called Coffee and Conversation. And I made sure that we got the people that needed to speak to her about their housing uh, facility being now being privatized by Boston Housing Authority and that approval came through through Mayor Michelle Wu. So here you have someone who is we got a new mayor and the same thing is happening no matter which mayor you get they are letting these real estate developers just come in and they take public housing and they privatize it and then the people who are there are pushed out. So that event was an opportunity for us to go and put pressure on Michelle Wu and that's not even my neighborhood. But I still went there to support the people who do live there and put pressure on her and say, what are you going to do about the affordable housing? You got to go and ask these tough questions. So I think that Chris did do the right thing when it comes down to it. But I know some people are still going to disagree on that. But it is what it is at this point, I think. Thank you, Sabi. Keep up the good work, RBN and everybody in your crew. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, uh, Eric, for calling in. Guys, I can take one more and then I got to scoot. Um, so, Guy Nunn, you are now on the mic. Hey, Sabby. Hello. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, getting worked up uh, here because... 
I wanted to bring up, so Frank, who mentioned mon modern monetary theory, uh, kind of anticipated what I was going to bring up, so I won't go into that. But one of the things that really bugs me is that the Pentagon can't account for $21 trillion of its budget. And I mean, I can't even wrap my head around how much money that is. And so whether we're printing that money, whether we're borrowing that money, that amount of money is going somewhere and they can't account for it. And we have people who are homeless, people who need health care, reparations would be nice, uh, you know, all these things that we spend on that just cause chaos and destruction in the world, we could be helping people to live up to their potentials. And another thing that um, I like to bring up is that Israel, who I, I don't know if you saw the news, they shot a Palestinian journalist in, in the face while she was wearing a press vest and a helmet. So that means a sniper with a precision shot shot her deliberately. And yeah. like there was some coverage of that, but the New York Times like uses the passive voice in, in describing that death. Like Palestinian journalist dies. It wasn't the Israeli military murdered her like they would if it were a white like Ukrainian who was being killed. So, like, right. the, the aid that we give Israel is illegal, like, in, on two different accounts, according to American law. They're, they're a nuclear-armed nation, and they have not signed on to the Nuclear Proliferation Treaty. And that's illegal for us to give aid to a nation that has nuclear weapons and that has not signed that treaty. Another... Uh, domain where it's illegal is their human rights abuses like they've been abusing palestinians and then and they they are you know gaza is like the the worst example it's it's basically this laboratory they're guinea pigs for israeli arms companies and surveillance technology and they uh, they use that as uh, like a way to say that that's been field tested on on in battle or on people so that they can go make money off of that. It's just disgusting like that we are that this is our ally. And because these people are brown, like we don't give a fuck about what happens to them. Like they are expendable. They're lab rats. And, and also like there's stories of um, queer Palestinians who are who are like pressured into becoming informants. Um, so they use the surveillance equipment technology to find out who's queer, and they and they like use that as leverage to get them to inform on on Palestinians. And so like this is just like there there it just goes to show that there's no principle behind this stance about Ukraine. Like when there's so many nations that were propping up that are committing human rights abuses and that, that contravene our own laws and that money can be going to our people. Uh, and it just, it just feels like it's by design to make people like be in a perpetual state of precarity. 
Um, because if, you know, we're doing well, like what, what, what are we going to do? We're not, we can't be made to fear things. We can't be pressured. We can't like, they can't use that button to make us act and, and, and to, um, and to obey like what, what they want us to do. So like, I just wish, you know, that that was front and center a lot of times in, in the discussion of money, like the fact that the Pentagon can't account for those $21 trillion. And like one example, Israel is just receiving money in, in violation of our own laws. And it, it's just, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what you think about that. No, I agree. Like, well said. And it's been that way for a long time. It's like when it seems like when it comes down to the military industrial complex, they don't have to explain how their money is allocated. It's just, we need a big military budget. So we have a strong defense, but they don't really break it down. Um, I've tried to break it down before and then realize there's money that's just unaccounted for, but yet they can't give money to the American people because they could say, well, that's considered socialism, which that's not socialism. People need to learn the definition of that. Um, mm -hmm. But I just think that that's another way for them to have control over yeah. the American people. Though, As long yeah. as we need something, they'll always be in control. And that's why they never give us enough to, to get ahead. They give us enough to get by. That's why people in poverty struggle to get out of poverty. Because even though they're given... Some people will some, not all. Some are given like food stamps or they're given like Section 8 housing. That's just enough to get by. That's not enough for you to get ahead. They have to keep people at the bottom because if everybody was able to rise to their level, they wouldn't be able to control us yeah. because we'd all be. That's why I think that's why you have a lot of people that are so uh, fearful of socialism and not just because they look at socialism as something that Cuba or Venezuela has, which that's a whole different type. Uh, but because they are afraid, especially people who are elites in this country, they don't want everyone to be on the same level financially or economically in this country, because then that means they'll have no control over us. Yeah. The, the, I don't know, like I'm old enough to see like certain patterns emerge the way that the mm -hmm. term entitlements just started, just popped up all of a sudden, like probably within the last 10 years where they started referring to social programs, like uh, programs mm -hmm. that, that are supposed to meant, uh, meant to help people as entitlements. And that is, I think, very purposeful to, to get people to react negatively to those things. And I mean, we, we have a social contract. Like there's a reason why we came together as, as a society to ensure like safety and, and health and protection for, for the common people and referring mm -hmm. to these, these rights that we've, you know, signed on to in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. All these things that we haven't lived up to as entitlements is just really sick. And it's such a manipulative, like propagandistic way to give it an ick factor so that people like say, oh, these people want entitlements. And when really it's mm -hmm. a projection, when the entitlement is these people at the top, they feel entitled to not pay taxes. They feel entitled to have 
all kinds of uh, benefits and people adoring them and people giving them free stuff. That's the real entitlement. Like it's just a projection. I agree. I agree with you. You know, it just, it's, it's a constant like reminder again, like they want to be in, in control. And the reason why they're so against a lot of like these social programs is because at the end of the day, like even number one reason is the money, obviously, uh, especially when you talk about like universal health care, free college, number one reason is the, is the money, but also they don't believe that we should have it. They don't believe that we deserve it. They don't believe that we should have free college in this country. They don't believe that we, everybody should have health care in this country. And now some people will not come out and say those words exactly. They'll just use other words instead. But deep down, you have some people and some politicians in this country that don't feel that everybody should have health care. And in some countries, that's not even up for debate. It is just like it is something that people almost take for granted. Like they're, they think of it as their mm-hmm. right. And like, so is it an indicator of how propagandized Americans are? Like how, like it's kind of almost like an abusive relationship where somebody's just gaslighting you all the time. And, and, and then, or a Stockholm syndrome where you just kind of, fall in love or relate to your kidnapper. Um, it, it's, it's pretty sick that, you know, we could, this is such a waste of human potential, like so many people suffering and, and people like missing out on all kinds of opportunities and synergies that they could come together and come up with unique ideas to solve problems. And yet we're just letting people suffer and letting these billionaires like hoard so much money that they they could not spend in a thousand lifetimes. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. Right. Thank you so much. Enjoy your birthday party. <laughs> Thank you. Right, take care. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and end the episode on call-in. Sorry if I could not get to all the callers. Um, I, I usually, I'm supposed to stop at 1130, but I don't seem to make that happen. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and end the episode on call-in, and then I will get to comments on uh, YouTube. So everyone, please have a great weekend and have a good night.